Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Just the aesthetics of looking at each one of our guys when they run out on the field or looking like a football team. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Just got back from drinking the hype at Kool-Aid Days in Hastings, and now I'm ready for the next road trip to Boulder. Hashtag see you red out. All right, all right. I'm also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? As the season fast approaches, we dive deep on the rightness and wrongness of finding your wife's background photo being Scott Frost. (laughs) Are we even mad? (laughs) <laughs> no, probably not. Um, I'm also a boomer. Well, I'd use Jumbo Steam as a background photo, so that's just as well. But uh, I'd also like to announce that uh, we here at the Go Big Redcast were going to be uh, allowing uh, wine and spirit sales for the first time live during podcasts. So feel free to indulge, listeners. <laughs> and not just in the suites. Not just in the suites. All... No, we're we're open to all classes here. We're not. All we're, not yeah, we're not elitists here at this podcast. This is this is this is for everybody, Dave. Excellent, excellent. Well, some Husker fans. May be able to enjoy spirits uh, and Folsom Field uh, coming in September. Honky, you alluded to this. There's a See You Red Out campaign going on. And uh, is it right that we have actually like a, a fan Twitter account of our See You Red Out? Yeah, we started a couple months ago. We did a hashtag See You Red Out for the game. And that's been making some traction. But yeah, just in the last week, uh, at See You Red Out. We don't know who he or she is, but uh, a fan of the show, and we're, we're so happy with what they are doing. Uh, they are trying to really promote that whole CU Red out as well. Let's get as much red into that stadium. As, as crazy as it sounds, Dave, that's less than four weeks from now. That is coming up on us really quick. So that game, the Redcast road trip out to Boulder this time, uh, the last couple of years the Redcast has made the trip from Colorado to Lincoln for games, but this year we're going the other way. So producer skip yourself uh, myself we're going to be out there promoting the huskers and and we're expecting to see a lot of red painted red yeah it's awesome the graphics we have i think are amazing on that too so i love it. the image of us painting full some red it's well done very cool all right well uh it is week one now kind of in the books a little bit uh with fall camp honky do you want to kind of do a recap of uh, what we've heard and seen so far yeah so we've made it through week one Uh, That basically gets you through the first couple practices, which were non-contact and, you know, half pads. Our first pad practice was Tuesday or Wednesday, one of the two. Uh, Today was the first scrimmage of the uh, fall camp, so that was Sunday. And then Monday here will be a day off. So this show will go live some point here on Monday during the day off. But basically, I mean, I think what Frost and them have talked about is that the team's been in great spirits. They've been fast. They've hit hard. They've had to actually scale them back a little bit, which has been awesome. If you go back to our last show, Mac, we were talking a lot about how physicality was going to be a big part of this fall camp. Mm -hmm. And that will lead itself into the season, too, with the Tuesday and Wednesday contact period. So we think that that's an area that Nebraska can separate itself from other schools. Because I can tell you, I've got some examples here, too, as we can get into later. Being physical in practice, 
taking guys down to the ground, having live one-on-one periods, that's something that could be unique to Nebraska. Well, and it's something that absolutely has to be addressed, too. I mean, uh, toughness or physicality, whatever you want to call it, last season was an Achilles heel for us. Um, conditioning, effort, I felt like those are areas that were addressed, but the ability to, to go toe-to-toe the entire game was something we lacked. And it's something, you know, we talk about this all the time, but, you know, when the staff says they're going to do something, you can pretty much count on it because the videos you see and they and I, the the people who do this for the Twitter feed for the for the Nebraska recruiting or if it's Nebraska football whatever they put these videos out and they're just they're brilliant the music's on point the way they edit them are great but within those videos you see hitting you see contact you see you see everything they're talking about you see defensive backs attacking the ball you see running backs getting low and, and making contact and moving piles obviously they're probably not going to show too many videos of guys dropping balls but uh i mean my guess is but but if somebody gets separated from a ball they showed some big hits in there where the guy still held on the ball after getting smacked so it seems as though they're following through with what they were said they were going to do but on top of all that is the confidence and the strength and conditioning staff to go ahead and go full contact and feel like you've got the depth and the talent to allow that to happen and and really try to reap the benefits from that physical mentality taking forward you're building that toughness building that mentality you know, attacking that's what this offense this defense and the special teams they've always sold we are going to attack on every level and and there's no better way to prepare yourself for doing that than being physical in practice yeah great stuff there mac you know i was listening to an interview on sirius xm's uh, big 10 channel uh sam McEwen was on and he was talking about what they saw in practice and the, it was the, the speed, the tempo of practice and the physicality is really playing out in practices. It's what the coach has been preaching. And uh, we're hearing that in a lot of the articles, too. So it's great to hear. I'm sure Honky's excited about it. Well, it's something also that mirrors what we saw in practice back in spring when we went to the coaches clinic. It was physical. And the team, you know, I've mentioned this multiple times now. When we watched practice, the offense and the defense attacked each other the way that I can remember the offense and defense attacking each other back in the yeah. 90s. You know, Mac and I, we've gone to spring practices dating back to, or the first one I went to was the Solich year. Right. The right. last year of Solich. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I went to some practices during Osborne years, too, when I was on the field and I uh, was trying out to be a manager. Long story. Point is, <laughs> I've, I've been able to see multiple coaching staffs, how they went about practice, how they would go about hitting, how they would go about doing drills. And so I can make a comparison from how – Osborne did it to Solich. I can right. look at Solich to Callahan, Callahan to Pliny, Pliny to Riley. Riley was basically, yeah, we did nothing. And then now what we see, these are fast practices. Mm. There's a lot of reps. Right. The physicality piece that Frost has mentioned here and is starting to add into it, that is because all of the strength and conditioning has gotten us to a point where he feels he can do that. The depth of getting up to 155 players, 30 more than any other in the Big Ten, that makes him feel like he can start to do this. Mm-hmm. It's something he started to do in year two at UCF. He felt that that really made a big difference mm-hmm. for him. And I think you look at the results of that team, that's a thing that can start to give you some excitement. There's a, there's a couple things, too. You know, the, the reports that we're hearing back are from the first 30 minutes that these reporters got to see a practice. And you know, Honky, and I know that the first 30 minutes of practice, really, when you watch, it, it seems like a practice. It looks like a practice. They're snapping balls. They're going out for passes. People are throwing the balls to them. But that's their warm-up. You know, that's their speed of the, their warm-up. The zero period. The zero period is them just getting loose before they even break the stretch. You know, and then they run some plays and kind of a little pass skelly. And then practice starts. So the stuff that they're getting reports about being more physical, you know, the speed and frenetic pace of it all, is still just pre-practice. And, you know, going forward into this year and, and taking some of the momentum from last year, the ability to 
get as many as many reps as possible. The ability to get those young guys up to speed because the the old guys know what they're doing too. And then just the reps and the exchanges that you get over and over and over before practice even starts. That you know that's where I look at this team making a humongous jump in terms of execution and just uh, fluidity of of play. You know you can talk about having the playmakers in the positions and, and and who we've lost and everything like that. But the bonus of just knowing what you're doing for a second straight year and and the reps that they're probably accumulating as these early practices become far more efficient than the early practices were of last year, so that you don't have to like carry everybody along. You're only just sort of pushing along the freshmen that don't really know what's going on. And when you're talking about freshmen like. Wandell. You're talking about a freshman like a Ramir Johnson. You're talking about some impact speed type guys. Well, then it's not out of the realm of possibility to assume these guys can get up to speed enough to really contribute early. If nothing else, guys like Ramir Johnson and, and Wandell, if they can have packages that they can get really good at, they don't necessarily have to know the whole the whole offense. Although, of course, we get told that they are amazing learners and they've, they've learned it all already. But in some of that, what's what's coach speak versus not? But the point is, even if someone hasn't, you know, become so entrenched into knowing every bit of the offense, at the very least, can we get great skilled talent out there to do specific things? I was on the board the other day, and someone who says they got to observe practice, this may or may not be true, but the likelihood of it's pretty likely. But he said at one point in the backfield, you had Adrian Martinez. You had Mo Washington, you had Diedrich Mills, and you had Wandell Robinson, and Ramir Johnson was flanked. All right. I'm, I think we could roll with that. We, I think we could do okay. Well, you didn't mention J.D. Spielman. You tell yeah, me. Yeah, where's Spielman? You, yeah, right. I didn't even say Spielman. You tell me. Go ahead. Pick a spot. Dave, you brought up Sam McEwen talking on, on was it Sirius XM? Yeah, And right. I think it, it kind of leads to, I think we have a lot of examples, listening to the media at least, over the last week or week and a half, and we'll have some examples here. But there's kind of hype and not hype. So McEwen, you, you can kind of speak to this a little bit. He was really pretty high on the team, speaking nationally, which is a little different maybe than sometimes we hear from him when he's talking locally, when he's maybe trying to be a little more contrarian. But he was really pretty positive about the program, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, saying, you know, 9-3, and three, but definitely we're going to compete for the Big Ten West. And just I, I think more about the where the program is and where it's heading. Mm-hmm. You could tell in his voice – and how he answered the questions uh, that he felt that there was a, a great amount of confidence in where the program is going, which was interesting because I think the the hosts were more skeptical would be probably accurate. They were like, really? Um, you almost hear him in the background gasping a little bit, and I just thought it was really interesting. And uh, th- that's not uncommon. I listened to a lot of the national stuff on Sirius and uh, ESPNU, et cetera, and uh, – Ever since the Cleveland Plain Dealers poll went out and we were picked to win the Big Ten West, it's almost fashionable for some folks on the national side to say, yeah, this hype is a little too much just based off of Scott Frost and what he did at UCF and the defense isn't going to be good enough. It's not going to keep up with the offense. And we're going to see how that plays out. Well, let's keep talking a little bit on the hype side. And we'll get to the anti-hype here in a minute. Greg McElroy, or McElroy, I always say it wrong. McElroy. Uh, McElroy. Okay, I said it right the first time. Just call him Greg. <laughs> Greg. <laughs> Greggy Mac. Greg from Alabama. From Alabama. Uh, he, he tabbed Scott Frost as a, the nation's breakout coach. Went so far as to say I, I like in you in that nine-win area, maybe doubling their win total. So that's just another example there. A show that we've been listening to, Mac and I have, Zach Smith, uh, the Men's Society podcast, mm-hmm. 
what he's talking about nationally, he's talking about uh, what were the top quarterback-wide receiver combos. And number 80 of was Martinez Spielman. But after that, he went on to say, my dark horse. Not that it's that much of a dark horse, but there's a lot of conversation about them. A team that I love this year and I'm nervous about for everyone in the conference is Nebraska. Yeah. And this guy has been high, Mac. He has been high on Nebraska for as long as I've been listening to that. And, and, and to go back to his credibility a little bit, this is a guy who has been entrenched in college football now for quite a while and at the highest level at Ohio State. So when he's talking about these recruits and he's talking about these players, typically he's talking from the perspective of a guy who personally recruited a lot of them mm-hmm. or hosted a lot of them or talked to a lot of them. So, I mean, the guy's got a point of view that is, is pretty rare in terms of, yeah. of what people are willing to share in, in, in college football. You know, everybody's got to make their own choices, but... It's worth a listen. He's clearly an Ohio State homer, but he has an affinity for the Big Ten and, and just yeah. Midwest sports. So that, that's the kind of thing where I feel like he's paying attention to what at least the conference is all about. And the reason we even bring up all of this is because we'll post it on Twitter after you know he says something nice and we get a lot of feedback. Oh, I'll never listen to that guy or that guy's a terrible person. Look, I don't know the first thing about Zach Smith, and I'm not trying to defend him, but I bring it up because this is a guy, to your point, I think he knows what he's talking about when it comes to what's going on on the field. And the guy has been extremely high on Nebraska. He's extremely high on Frost. He's very and he's high very on high on Martinez and the direction of the program. It, the, Take it for what it's worth. The, the one other interesting thing, the interesting take I've always found with his podcast is he'll give you the dynamic of what it was like to coach for an Urban Meyer. And even a Nick Saban, he talked about the interview with Nick Saban. And I, I contrast that because you look at a guy like Dabo Sweeney a guy who keeps his staff intact. And I look I look at the national landscape of things, and you look at Scott Frost, and it's an anomaly. The guy went from his, his group of five to a power five, same staff. And I look at the way Scott Frost conducts and operates his program. I feel like it, it, it's just a little bit more sustainable for the culture that we have here in Nebraska than it would be if you were more of those brash, really hard to get along oh. with, a Bo Pelini with no, but with better wins. Yeah, we were so proud, All every one of us, we were so proud of Osborne for 25 years because he could talk about having guys like Darlington and Tenniper and Young and you know McBride that were with him for all those years. That's the kind of staff that we like, that, that kind of continuity. Now, on the flip side, Dave, what we're starting to see is some of the anti-hype. I've been watching a lot of the BTN this last week. Have you been watching the the BTN tour? Absolutely, yeah. I've seen every episode so far. And so you have Jay Lehman, you have Stanley Jackson, and this will be, I guess, music to the Husker realist ears out there that are you know tired of all the hype. We're starting to get some of that backlash a little bit. Uh, we had Jay Lehman talking about how our defense wasn't quite as far ahead as where our offense was, and that was really a big issue think offensively they're going to have to outscore people because i think they can score on anybody but i don't think they can stop everybody defensively and so their offense is ahead of their defense they've got to sort that up we also had stanley jackson he couldn't see us being tops of the west right now or at least saying that we are not it wasn't ours to lose yeah it wasn't ours to lose right now and that's probably totally fair he kind of went on to say that he didn't think martinez was the best quarterback in the west and i don't know where he's going with that a lot of teams in the West that are going to compete. It's not Nebraska's to lose right now. Minnesota, I, I went and did their spring game. I really like the way they're looking now. If their quarterbacks play well, they will be in the mix. So there, there's no favor right now in my mind. And just to read you, it's not that you don't think Nebraska will be good or will be a favorite down the line. It's just that in year two of Scott Frost might be too soon to say that. Absolutely. They, look, they got a great quarterback. They've got a dynamic offense, but their defense has to get a lot better. And let's be honest about this. In Big Ten play, you got to be able to run run the football and play defense to win at the end. And they still might not have the best quarterback in the conference, let alone the West, because we didn't talk about Iowa and Stanford. That's true. 
So, I don't know, Dave, I mean, your thoughts when you hear that? Honestly, if you look at, like, Phil Steele or, or uh, you know, Pick 6 previews, and you look at where Nebraska's landing in those, which is all really data-driven in so many ways, uh, right? They, they really try to take out just the uh, anecdotal observational thing that we tend to do and, and most of the uh, pundits do. I mean, I think Phil still probably has this at 10 and 2, for goodness sakes, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that's a lot higher than most people or more on the eight, eight and four, nine and three type thing, right? That puts you in the top of the Big Ten West, not necessarily winning it, but you you could be in there, depending on how that breaks. I think a lot of the folks that doubt that Nebraska could do that—that's too far of a, a leap forward from four and eight—are the ones that probably haven't seen practice, probably haven't actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, experienced uh, the culture being installed here. Uh, and whereas you have a few national folks like Bruce Feldman who have seen a lot of uh, things here on campus and I think are buying into the hype uh, because of that personal experience that they've seen. You know, one of the things that we talked about, Mac, and I'm interested to kind of get your, your feedback on this, we were watching a practice footage the other night, and it might have been Ohio State. I'm not sure which one it was, but it was mm-hmm. a BTN, mm-hmm. one of their tour nights. And they were showing a practice video, and it was two or three minutes of it, but it was what was going on in the background. That yeah. You brought up a really good point. Yeah. One of the things the broadcasters may or may not know about me is I, I watch a lot of YouTube. No big deal. <laughs> and, and sometimes I'll just kind of – I'll just sort of jump on this little – or dive down this rabbit hole. And, and the thing I would be surprised if at the end of the, the Big Ten – tour if Donardo doesn't bring this up but I, I really feel like the way we practice the speed and the pace and just the attitude that we attack our practices with really stood out to me because as I'm watching Alabama I'm sure there was a lot of coaching going on and I have no idea what period this was mm-hmm. but it wasn't just the guys that they were coaching I was watching the background and just guys hands on hips just kind of standing around and it just Alabama's a poor example but, but it was Ohio but, State too but it was Ohio State too Nebraska's never going to recruit on that level right so how mm-hmm. do we catch those guys and it maybe is this practicing at this rate and getting these reps and building these walk-ons and getting all this kind of this culture built up through a frenetic pace of practice that translates onto an attacking kind of team on the field. To do a comparison, <laughs> I went back on YouTube and I found some uh, sights and sounds from Riley practices, and it was exactly what I feared, which was hands-on <laughs> hits and and a lot of drop balls. I don't see any drop balls in the practices I watch, whether it's sights and sounds or, or or the highlight clips they show. And Riley's practices was just a bunch of skipped balls and fat dudes with their hands on their hips, and I was like, <laughs> well, one looks better to me. Take it for what it's worth, Husker fans, but uh, Frost seems to know what he's doing. Mac, I was actually on YouTube last night, and uh, I ran randomly came across the uh, K-State-Nebraska game from 95, actually. Mm. And it was, I just watched the first uh, little bit. In the first opening segment, the color uh, analyst, I think it might have been Terry Donahue or somebody like that, was just talking about he had just observed a Tom Osborne practice, and he was like, that was the most efficient practice I had ever seen. Yeah. And, and I was like, aha! I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, it's no surprise, right? But I, I think the best coaches out there uh, make the most of every second of their players' time, and we're starting to see that with Scott Frost already here. I think back a couple years ago, DiNardo came to Lincoln, and it was the day after they went to Iowa. So they had just gone to an Iowa practice. Uh, you know, they were hitting each other, and yeah. I mean, it was you know, it was a bloodbath, as Mark Banker would have called it. 
and then the next day they come to Lincoln, yeah. and I mean we're you know we're having ice cream cones afterwards and sprinkles and everything, and it's like and that was fresh in his mind was what he saw in Iowa City, mm-hmm. and then he came to Nebraska, and, and you kind of got that impression from yeah. Donardo as he was talking about the team. Now, Dave, what we talked about in the last week, we talked about how Donardo had made the statement that we might be overhyped, and you kind of said you listened to the interview, and he kind of said it with the caveat that let me at least watch the team first, let me watch them practice. I'm really curious when they come to Lincoln, which I think is August 19th. It is August 19th. August 19th. That's the night that they're going to be here. Watch that show. I really am interested to see from a coach's perspective, how does DiNardo walk away from watching that practice? Does he walk away and go, okay, it's, it's what I thought? Or I would be really interested if he walks away kind of open eyed and goes, whoa, I saw something I wasn't expecting to see. I saw whatever that is, whether it's the physicality. It's the strength and conditioning. It's the speed. It's the efficiency. Whatever it is. What you talked about with Terry Donahue there, Dave. Like, this DiNardo, a former coach himself, walk away from it going, wow. That is something. And by that point, he will have seen 10 my, or 11 other my Big prediction, schools. My prediction is he does say, in fact, wow. That's my prediction. I'm saying... Donardo changes his tune just a little bit after he sees us. That's my will, guess. Will Jerry Donardo say wow on the BTN uh, <laughs> show next Friday? That, that will be the over on that out. one. <laughs> the Red Cast gets results, right, Boomer? Exactly. Mac touched on a point there. If we have success this year and we start to win games, we've talked a lot about, and, and others talk a lot about, the Big Ten bias, I guess, towards Michigan and Ohio State. The coverage revolves around them in many ways. Honestly, that's not surprising because they're the ones usually winning the conference championship. But if if Nebraska starts to establish themselves as the dominant team on the West, um, how do you feel the, the narrative might change from uh, maybe not even just the national side, but more the, like the Big Ten-focused media? Yeah, it could it would be something you would probably have to adjust a little bit, but they probably actually appreciate it because a good Nebraska program that's going to draw a lot more clicks get a lot more viewers you know everyone likes a winner so that would be a great story for him to sell having somebody in the west that's able to step up and readily compete for both conference championships and you know possibly even playoff bids I mean that can't but help everyone in yep. the Big Ten you know media footprint and these sort of things can be done you can have teams that kind of come out of nowhere and can actually become kind of a dominant media force I mean Clemson wasn't really much of anything media wise other than a, a running joke for how many years for you know always cleansing. Oh, they cleansing. Yeah, I mean it, that was yeah. a, that was a verb for goodness sakes. And now what are they? I mean they drive narratives every year as far as you know Dabo and a, one of the greatest teams of you know consistently year in and year out. So this this sort of thing can be done. It can be flipped, and we're in a position to do so. It's what Jim Delaney brought Nebraska in to do. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, that was the whole point. I mean, why would you add us over Missouri, who was so confident they were getting in? Well, nobody cares yeah. about Missouri. Yeah, Nebraska <laughs> generates viewers. I mean, you look at you look at us. We've often joked about how we picked the greatest time in the world to start a podcast in one of the worst slumps of Nebraska football history. And, you know, we still get people listening to this show. I mean, if that shows the dedication that fans have, just imagine what it'll be when we're good. Do you mean when Nebraska's good or when we Oh, we've are... always been good. This, is, this has always been a spot on podcast. <laughs> Agreed. Five star, developmentally and um, out of the gate. Absolutely. Podcast gold, obviously. To Boomer's point there, a really healthy Big Ten would be where Nebraska and even Penn State, the other two, you know, kind of blue bloods, come along and actually, and, and Michigan for that matter, let's all three of us actually compete versus Ohio State. And this conference would really take off from a from a media perspective and challenge the SEC's dominance in that, just like the talking of it, right? Well, you know, for so many years, I can remember 
we would talk about other schools as sleeping giants. That always used to be kind of the, the moniker mm-hmm. you'd give them. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Uh, you it was know, always when, Missouri kind of. Or, well, or, yeah, Missouri could be, but, but they had never been a giant. But when Pete Carroll gets to USC and the first year or two goes by and, hey, they start to look like they could be good, they're a sleeping giant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when Texas would get good or bad or whatever, oh, they're a sleeping giant. Nebraska, we need to start embracing this. And, Mac, you mentioned this in your parting shots last week. And when you first said it, I kind of cringed. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're being too harsh. You said Husker fans that don't want to embrace these these mm-hmm. expectations, you're being small. And yep. I was like, oh, my God, you are, you're being really cruel there. But I was I'll like, double down on it. <laughs> you know what? I'll double down on that. It is being small. These expectations, we're not saying if Nebraska, you have expectations, you want Nebraska to go 12-0. and 0, Right. And Nebraska ends up going 8-4. and 4. We're not saying be a jerk. No. We're not saying stop buying tickets and, right. and don't go. We're saying have high expectations. We are a sleeping giant of college football. I'm saying football. stop sweating Purdue, Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and part of stop sweating that is start beating them, right? Because That's I right. know the second we say that on Twitter, we, you know, we've got some smart Iowa guy going, the last five times you guys played us, we beat you by an average of 21.4. Yeah, we yeah, did we're, it. We're going to find out who we, the historians are here after the, yeah. after we beat Iowa because yeah. all they're going to want to talk about the last four years yeah. when they've been talking about us talking about the 90s for the last yeah. three we can hold off on any history, Iowa fans, because I can give you history if you want to start talking that, and you don't want to get into that. If you're just talking the last couple of years, you're right. And we fired a guy named Riley, and we've got our, our house in order. But the point is, Nebraska, we need to embrace these expectations. And the expectations, they might be 9-3 and three right now. They might be 10-2 and two for some people. Mm-hmm. Phil Still, for an example. We'll go over our expectations in a couple of weeks on that show. But it is okay right now to have high expectations. It's not just hype. There's a lot of uh, reason behind feeling that we can go that do that well. Whether it is having a coach who's done it in year two mm-hmm. already, it's having a system in place, it's having a quarterback, you know, which is a pretty good indicator of success, is having a returning quarterback who's thought of highly, and we have that right now. We have a good strength and conditioning program. We're going to be physical, which is the thing that can start to set us apart. We've always talked about what can set us apart. That is something that can. All right, good stuff, guys. Uh, I think we've been covering uh, the gamut here. Honky, do we want to talk anything more about fall camp here with the scrimmage or anything before we move on? No, I mean, we just saw basically some video from it today. I don't think there's a whole lot to say other than maybe the most important thing is no one got injured that we're aware of. There hasn't been any reports of injuries. Um, Looked like a nice physical practice. It's funny, they're, they're pretty strategic about how they drop these videos because you might see, like, you see a lot of backup clips. I mean, they're executing everything like that. I but saw you white very Missouri rarely see. Yeah, you very rarely see like Martinez ripping a ball. Yeah, you know. That's but, right. But but then you see Mo Washington cutting through some plays. One thing I would mention about the Mo Washington play, and this speaks to the improvement on defense. Midway through that video, he breaks to the middle, cuts back. He makes Markel Dismuke miss, and then he starts to pull away. But then Deontay Williams tracks him down and tackles him from behind. And now I promise you, <laughs> Antonio Reed and Williams Trey or Neal. Trey Neal, nobody's catching Mo from behind. That encouraged me a little bit. It was probably 16 yards down the field, but Mo didn't walk away from him. He, you know, like yeah. that's that's the kind of stuff I'm like, you know, as I rewind that video incessantly and I just keep combing it over and I take still frame shots because mm-hmm. I'm yeah. not a psycho. Yeah, I mean, you know, cause, <laughs> we're not, not obsessive because I'm not weird. I didn't superimpose my face on it or anything <laughs> yet. 
But but like those are the things I break down. I'm like, oh, that was pretty good. Good contact there. Jackson Hanna brought down. Uh, looked like Miles Jones. Nice nice thumper at the end. So you know, break her down, Husker fans. I know Chaz and SoCal is gonna do that. All right, guys, great stuff on week one of fall camp. Uh, let's uh, head over to the mailbag. Alright guys, in what I think has become an annual tradition, Honky sends out a series of Twitter polls uh, breaking down game by game, uh, will Nebraska you know, win or lose versus so-and-so. And uh, Honky, you've got the results of those polls coming in now? Yeah, I like to do it because I like to kind of you know hand out the, the credit or the blame when things don't go the way that people expect. And a couple, you know, I already had several people from last week's show. I mm-hmm. said that multiple times that we have the ability to go 12-0, and 0, and I heard people going, no way, that's impossible, blah, blah, blah. Hey, Honky, or just really quick, what was the result last year on this? Uh, do you remember? I think it was 12-0. and Well, no, it was probably 11-1 or 10-2. and 2. I mean, <laughs> but that's when correct. you ask the question to people, what do you think we're going to do? People tend to be um, conservative. They mm-hmm. tend to say, oh, I think we'll go 9-3, and 8-4, and four, blah, blah, blah. But when you go game by game and you say, okay, Nebraska versus South Alabama, Nebraska versus Colorado, and you go all the way through it, mm-hmm. shockingly, with well over 7,500 votes, <laughs> we had 76.52 to be exact, we're 12-0, and 0, Husker fans, and that's not us. That's Redcasters and anyone else on... On the interwebs, that uh, way not to be small, Husker fans. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Finally, um, the closest game uh, was Nebraska versus Ohio State, sixty to forty percent that we would win that one. Fair, and, but you go past that, and it was at Purdue was eighty to twenty percent. Uh, Wisconsin, uh, seventy nine to twenty one percent. So, game by game, Husker fans seemed very confident that we could win each game. So. I, it's this is not honky saying. We this. assume they're Husker fans. Yeah, we don't know. This is not honky <laughs> saying this. This is this is our Redcast Nation. It's a saying national this. poll. <laughs> I mean, there were no restrictions. But we're, but we're going twelve and zero essentially, Dave. That's that's the point of it. You know, what, one way to approach this is if you look at the schedule, uh, opposed to simply just asking your gut, oh, will we win this or not? Is like, which games will Nebraska be favored in or be an underdog, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Boomer, you can jump on this because you, you might probably know these lines or expect what those would be, but we're probably not going to be favored versus Ohio State. I guess if, if we were, you know, the line was established today. Right. But outside of that, there, there's a chance that we could be favored in a lot of these games. Um, and it's interesting, you know, if you think of at Purdue, uh, the Wisconsin game, the Iowa game, you know, what do you think those those spreads would be? Yeah, it's it's hard to say this early on. I think you're going to get a lot of love Nebraska's way, I think. And granted, you have to think of it in the strategic Vegas way. They're just trying to draw money as opposed to, you know, That's clearly right. saying who's going to win and who isn't. So you always take the spreads with a grain of salt. I think my point here, and Honky and Mackie, you can jump in, is, is that uh, when you go down a, a schedule like this, and we've talked about the Nebraska schedule being more favorable this year, I mean, compared to last year and, and, mm. and going forward in 2020, there's a lot of games that we'd probably be favored in, some of them because we're at home. But you can kind of see where you're going to end up a, a really high win-loss total if you're just basing it game by game. Yes, and when you do it game by game, and this is the, the fault of what we just did by sending out this Twitter poll the way we did, is that it doesn't account for how the, the scenarios play themselves out throughout a season. So, for instance, 
let's say Nebraska goes 5-0 and and we just beat Ohio State. I mean, you know, the place is crazy mad, right? We have Northwestern coming to town next. Is that going to be one of those trap games then? You know, that you're playing that team right after a big win? How about that game at Purdue, which shouldn't be a trap game, but it's right before that Wisconsin and Iowa kind of finish in, in November. So there's scenarios of when you play a team and how that factors into. But at the end of the day, it was just interesting to get Husker fans' feedback on a game-by-game when they actually see your name versus the other one. And it's social media, so we know how you know how intelligent all that is sometimes. But the point is, we're 12-0. I'm taking yeah. that to the yeah, Another trap game on the schedule is at Maryland. Late in the season. Yep. Big travel there. Crab cakes. Yeah, crab <laughs> cakes could fill everyone up. The, the conversation of trap games always fascinate me when, when you're talking about a team with back-to-back four-win seasons. <laughs> like, the, 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 thought, the thought that we could be caught slipping. I'm like, are you serious? We're, so, we're already so comfortable with our, with our five-win season. We're just going to rest on our laurels. I just... I'm like a trap game, and I've heard it too, and I, I probably even said it, but it's like it's just hilarious. I'm like, if we're talking about a trap game midway through the season, we're yeah. having a pretty good year, boys. You know, That's like very true. like if the fan base is already talking traps, it's like really four wins, four good stuff. All right, Hunk, what else do you have for us in the mailbag this week? All right, well, we kind of four four went. I don't know if that's the right word. Four, four. gone. Um, the tradition, forbear, forbear. I think the traditional mailbag, <laughs> <laughs> because there's a really good question, and we've mentioned him in the past, Chaz from SoCal. He brought up a really good question, and it wasn't even a mailbag to us, but it's just I'm going to use it. He talked about what's your Husker prove it checklist for 2019, and, and this takes me back to the Osborne years. Osborne never talked about going a certain record. He never said we need to win this game or that game. It's almost a moot point to go to a team and say we need to win this or that. We know that we need to win games, right? right? So Osborne was all about setting goals that set you up for success. Hey, run for X amount of yards. Keep your pers- you know penalties under this amount. Do all these things, and if you meet these goals, I think you're going to be pretty happy with what the win-loss record is. So Chaz made that same statement there, and he goes, his prove-it checklist for 2019 was, one, win on the road, two, put teams away when you get the chance, three, blow out inferior opponents, and four, finish, which means finish tries, finish games. I think all those are good. So when you think of that, what's your prove-it checklist for Nebraska football this season? It might be some of the things he just said. Mm Mm-hmm. Boomer, I'll start with you. What is your number one prove-it checklist item for Nebraska football that you want to see? Yeah, I, I thought of a lot of things on this. You know, I, I threw a few out there on Twitter when we first started talking about it. Um, I sat down and I looked at the numbers, and there's several that were obvious that you want to try to tackle. But I think the, the big one that I think is the most important we have to improve is the opponent's third down conversion percentage. I looked at it last year. Uh, our opponents converted third downs 43% of the time, put us at 103rd nationally. And if they're converting at that click almost half the time, you're not getting off the field. Your offense, which is supposedly our strength, is not getting the ball. We're not scoring the points, controlling time of possession. That's just a huge, huge flaw in any sort of game plan if you can't get the opponent off the field, particularly in the Big Ten with a lot of run-heavy teams. That's going to wear in your defense, and that's going to cost a lot of games. So. Um, and the other one I want to see improve a little is a, a three and outs make a big difference so that we can uh, get the ball in better field position offensively. 
If you can get that stat turned around and put it more in line with the rest of the Big Ten, I think that's a huge, you know, check. That works for me. How about we move over to Dave? What's your number one checklist item? Yeah, I'll add on to that, and that's uh, turnovers, uh, defensive uh, turnovers, uh, producing those turnovers. We've talked a lot about that. We say that the uh, Eric Giander defense is meant to turn the ball over and get the ball back to that offense. That's one way to get off the field and... We've got to see it this year. Our, we talked to our defense about getting us the ball back. Uh, I, I think some of the statistics are still the same. You know, you want to hold the team to fewer yards and fewer points, but they're going to play more plays. So we kind of lean a little more toward yards per play, yards per possession, and, and those types of things. The, the biggest stat for us is going to be turnovers. So, so that, I think that will make, make or break that defense in many ways. Is, are they successful in producing those turnovers? We're going to have a heck of a year. Mac. For me, it's twofold. On the first side of things, because there's such a question mark behind JD, I would like to see us start winning more 50-50 balls on offense. Mm-hmm. When it goes up, I want our guys to start coming down with them and making big plays afterwards. On the flip side of that, I would say the 50-50 balls on defense, defense. where you take the PBUs and you turn them into mm-hmm. interceptions or, or you get those at least tipped up and somebody else makes those plays. It's the being in position and have the mentality to attack the football you know, once we do that, once we start becoming that on defense, then we've started to match the identity we have in offense. Until mm. we start creating, generating, taking turnovers and making that our identity, you know, we're, I, we'll probably struggle a little bit. You know, but if, if we can get that ball rolling early and often, you know, it's just it, – it, that just becomes – that's the kind of recipe that's like a nightmare for on a team like Iowa. You know, like if you could – if you can get them to turn the ball over twice and we score quick on that, it's like they're down they're down 17 points, man. That's trouble. Brett from Pick 6 Previews talked about that with uh, with DiCaprio Boodle. He'll be an All-American if he catches the amount of balls that are thrown his way that last year were pass breakups. Catch right. those, make interceptions. As for me, I think the item that I really want to touch on is finishing, and this is something that Chaz mentioned. He talked about finish, finish drives. Finish games, fourth quarter. Finish games. Be the most physical team, and in the fourth quarter, wear players down. This is something Coach Walters talked about this week in one of his press conferences, talking about having extra running backs and having Mo Washington and having Dedrick Mills and, and having these guys is wear teams down. Our offense, we're gonna we're gonna scheme. We're gonna try to get as much many guys on the field in, in different roles, and so uh, we plan on playing a bunch of running backs, keep them fresh, keep them healthy, and uh, by the end, by the fourth quarter, we're opposing defenses down. And it's a different kind of wear down from the the old school style I was used to in the '90s, right? You know, fullback and double tights, but it's the same mentality. It's wear them down, be physically superior from a strength and conditioning standpoint. Throw, you know, 90 plays at them, and let's be physical as we're doing it. And in the fourth quarter, let's never have a Northwestern happen to us again. Let's never have a game that we've won turn on us. You know, another point to that, too, is how nice would it be to start a season and not at rock bottom again, but to say to take some of the momentum you had towards the end of the season prior. Like we all felt like we were at a certain level offensively. You know, we, we had this habit of scoring on our first drives and coming out and being really efficient right away. And you saw growth in this team where the where the penalties went down and the dumb and the dumb turnovers and mm-hmm. you know like you saw that progress throughout the season to start a season there mm-hmm. and then to kind of fine tune and tweak some just maybe some issues here and there. You know, that's the kind of thing where it's like if we can if we can come out of the gates 
in South Alabama. I see that we are at least at the level we ended last year with, and it gets us to a point where we're putting in, you know, a second string line and maybe a second string to third yeah, building string. Depth. You know, build that depth. I don't give. I really don't care what the final score is. It's all about how the game was handled. Yep. You know, and like like the first game to me, like I could I could I could make these statements. And like my checklist, but for me, it's like, how's the first game handled? You know, did the do the starters come out and handle business, or or do we look confused? Do we look like we're not knowing what we're doing? Is is the flow off, or are we attacking? Yeah, I'm not saying this. They've said this. This coaching staff says they have an attacking mentality. We should be able to see that game one. We well, should be able to see that in all three phases. Well, Dave, uh, I'll ask you the question. Just using the Redcast coaching staff, just our four goals that we just created. If we improve in third down defense, if we improve those turnovers and we get that on our side, if we win those 50-50 balls and for the best team in the fourth quarter, just how good can we be if those four things happen? We're going to be a pretty good team. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, if you have any team that can execute uh, those four uh, elements, you're going to win a lot of games. And uh, I think that's what we're looking at. We want to see if we can win a lot of games this year. And almost none of those have to do with talent. Honestly, I mean, that's a lot of that's effort. A lot of that's just yeah. being in the right spot and knowing what you're doing. I mean, it, it's it's not like I'm saying I'd, I'd like a, a particular guy to go for 2,000 yards rushing or anything. I mean, this yeah. is just an effort knowing what you're doing kind of thing. Yep. Great stuff. Great stuff, guys. All right, let's get out of here with some parting shots. Honky, what do you got? Well, first off, I want to talk a little baseball. Logan Foster, the Lincoln Southwest uh, graduate, he transferred from A&M. He played 168 games there, had a... average and he has one year left and he has to sit out uh, the next year to play this is a great recruit for uh, Bull to get and it's a a good start there and it's great to get a a Husker kid back Uh, also let's talk a little social media for a second Uh, you're going to notice a couple of uh, for the ladies post and that (laughs) is because the Redcasters uh, we've added an additional social media helper Dave's wife Katie so every once in a while, you're going to see some posts that are of, you know, Hoiberg or Frost and some... That's not you posting those, Honky? I thought that was you. I, it could be me. I'm not saying it can't be, but I'm just saying that um, a lot of times that there's some, you know, hot post of Frost, and we we post it in a way where we say, like, this guy is, like, looking good. <laughs> I'm just saying that that's not always me. So I think, you know, Dave, you've got to talk to your well, wife. Well, you know, Scott but, um, Frost is a cousin of mine. It's distant, but <laughs> it's, you know, I, I, I can't help it, you know. Well, speaking of social media, we are close to 7,000 followers now uh, in Redcast Nation. We are incredibly shocked and thankful for everyone that's following us. Uh, we've now uh, passed Plattsmouth. We're the 27th largest town in Nebraska. And you're yes! next. You're next, Crete. We're coming up on you. <laughs> oh, man. Wannix. And last but not least, the for your crazy stat of the week, Rutgers has our offensive coordinator back for the second season in a row for the first time in a decade. Just let that sink in. That's wow. that's how you become the worst Power 5 program in the country. It's like a name. punishment having to come back. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, Hockey, uh, before I throw it to, to Mac, you did mention uh, baseball there. I want to mention basketball really quick. Uh, the team is in Italy, wrapping up their Italy trip. They've won their first three games, and hopefully they win number four. So that's that's a good um, result. You know, just really them playing together is, is what you really want to see out of this. And um, so that's a, that's a real positive, and it'll be interesting to see how um, – you know, they kind of build off this Italy trip moving forward. 
Uh, all right, Mac, what else you got? Um, I just want to go ahead and give a shout-out to both uh, Divine Ozigbo for his, his training camp. He seems to be very much within the mix of making the Saints roster. And then Luke Gifford having yep. a pick the other night against San Francisco. Uh, both those guys doing their best, balling out, and I feel like they're doing – a great job of re- representing, even though we didn't have a draft pick this last year, of, of the Husker Nation and, and just the kind of the kind of players we're about. So, you know, hopefully Stanley Morgan put some stuff on film. I'm just super excited for those guys. The NFL gets better for me as Huskers get better. Did you see personnel even had like a yeah. return? Yeah. I didn't even know he was on the Raiders. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great, great pickup. We'll be interested to see how that plays out too. That makes right. Hard Knocks a little more interesting. Yep. Boomer? What do you got? Well, I just wanted to uh, follow up on a subject that came up a couple weeks ago in our talk, Dave. Uh, I'm sure the Redcasters were on the edge of their seat wondering about the mystery of the mint freeze when it came to uh, the old phrase that we had. I did some research on that, and we originally were thinking that the mint freeze was an alcoholic beverage, and I couldn't find it in any of my old cocktail guides. You know, they had mint juleps and grasshoppers back then. They didn't call it that, so... I started digging a little deeper and grabbed my copy of a 1920s Wrigley's Reliable Candy Teacher, and I was able to actually uncover several recipes for a mint freeze in that. And what a mint freeze was was essentially kind of like a mint ice cream with some, you know, phosphate water in it and often, you know, pineapple or some other little concoctions in it. So it was actually just a ice cream drink at the time and that made me wonder why would they list that with uh, a Manhattan cocktail pilsners and other things like that in sort of a disreputable manner so for you redcasters I dug deeper we're not just going to leave that hanging and what I actually uncovered is in the 19 teens and such when the uh, yearbook was written there was actually a moral panic in the United States over ice cream and ice cream parlors so it actually would have been a disreputable thing for a Nebraska athlete to be hanging out in such a thing a moral panic there was yes ice cream parlors ice cream was partially associated with kind of a decadent European thing it wasn't uh, an American type food and they were often kind of tarred with a place where people would hang out for questionable activities. It was a place where women could uh, hang out unaccompanied by relatives and often associated with immigrants at the time. So there actually was a weird moral panic that arose in the country about ice cream parlors, particularly in Chicago, which would have bled over to the Great Plains states like Iowa and Nebraska. There was actually a huge vice squad uh, in Chicago that dealt with uh, you know investigating ice cream and ice cream parlors and the Illinois Vigilance Association wrote a 481 page book detailing the the dangers posed by ice cream and including quotes how the ordinary ice cream parlor is very likely to be a spider's web for entanglement for any visiting women that might come in from out of out of the city into, into Chicago in fact the city of Chicago actually banned uh, men from age 21 and under from being in an ice cream parlor after 10 o'clock unless they were accompanied by a parent. <laughs> Same thing with women. You had to be 18 or un- eighteen or over to be able to be in an ice cream parlor after 10 o'clock unless you were accompanied by a parent. So there you have it, folks. Uh, you can see moral panics weren't just a thing for Facebook, but they were happened back in the day, too. That the Redcast doesn't go, go deeper, right? No, um, we, we go all out for our fans. So. There was a Chicago ice cream parlor vice squad. There was, yes. There's entire books written on it. So I can share that with you if you'd like. Just DM us, Redcasters. <laughs> All right, well, I'm speechless. Guys, anything you want to add on that one? Uh, Go ahead. I I think the Nebraska Dairy Store is one of the tops in the country, and uh, they make outstanding ice cream. I've been to the Michigan State one, and I know Penn State's is up there too, but 
I'm going to give Nebraska the top dairy store in the country. I also did not realize the bravery of Dairy Queens and, and, <laughs> and, and Brazzer Foods for you know stepping in front of these kind of things and say no, ice cream's okay. Dilly bars are fine. Well, hockey, you know? I dare you to go to the uh, UNL dairy store and order a mint freeze and yeah, see, see if what you don't get. get arrested. All right, guys, great stuff. Really enjoyed the show. Looking forward to uh, uh, talking to you again next week. For now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red!